Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Erdix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I am the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we are not taking phone calls, and I have not opened the chat room this morning because Nicole and I are tired, and there's only so much we can do at a time. (laughs) But... uh, um, uh, we hope you will uh, listen and enjoy and yell things out to us as we talk. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's getting to be the end of the school year. We've been talking about this for a while. But uh, I'm I'm finding that the end of the school year in college can be stressful too. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, we're next week is the last full week of uh, of college, and I'm hoping after that we will get some good results. But uh, I am I am in suspense by the college uh, habit of not letting you know what grades your kid got until after the year is over. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. unlike those of us who are advocates in elementary and in middle school and in high school yeah, are all about the working <laughs> with the teacher through the course of the year yeah. so we always know what's going on, having meetings and getting the progress report and going and having a meeting and the report card and going and this is like, well, you know, we really don't want to talk to you. We'll let yeah. you know. <laughs> we'll give you the return on your investment after it's too late to do anything about it. So, um, so I am probably more stressed about it than my children are. <laughs> well, but I'm I sure with by all next of your Friday it will be a done deal. It will be done. You'll know by then. <laughs> will you get the results um, right away? I let's see. Now, actually, the end of the semester is a week from Monday, which isn't that lovely. Okay. The end of the semester on a Monday, so I may not know by next Friday, but I should have a better idea. So we'll, well see what happens, but holding holding out good thoughts. Everybody's been working very hard in my house this semester. So well, I was going to say, with all your years of encouragement and support, I'm sure that they have learned plenty <laughs> to be able to well, succeed. One so. would hope. My son is taking a psychology <laughs> class this semester. That is, I'm trying to help him out, but it's hard for me. It's like you know, yeah. gosh, do we really have to learn this stuff? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It makes you rethink. Well, what did I learn in college anyway? <laughs> I was an English major, man. I learned how to write, and that's all yeah, I've ever yeah. needed to know. So yeah. <laughs> I can talk to you about uh, literature. I can get the clues on trivia games, but, uh, you know, all this other stuff, else? this math stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forget it. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> and neither of my kids uh, has any interest in being an English major, so my experience uh, is for not. Well, <laughs> uh, at this point, you never know what happens down the road. <laughs> I, well, I wouldn't advise them to be an English major. It's a largely useless thing. But uh, <laughs> that's the one thing I really appreciate you, Terry, is that you're always honest. <laughs> you don't hold I, back. You know, I would say that you could you could pull a, a random assortment of English majors, and very few of them are working in anything connected to their major. I am uh, actually. I'm one of the few. And then you've got a few who are teaching college, but most of them are doing something completely okay, different. Okay, and Matt. Imagine this. My major in university was Canadian history. Now, what could one do with that? Because to begin with, Canada doesn't have a lot of history. 
it's a very young country in relation to the rest of the world. (laughs) So let us not talk about degrees that we can't do much with. (laughs) Yes, thankfully. Money well spent by our parents, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Thankfully, I went into education. That was after my dad sat me down and said, Nicole, we need to talk about your future. Anyway. Speaking of future, yes, we, we should, we should move the topic, on, shouldn't we? Yeah, the topic of our show today. <laughs> We're punchy this morning, folks. Oh, let me tell you. No, this is great. I'm really looking forward to this because, you know, I personally, I don't have a lot of experience with children who are either blind or significantly visually impaired in the classroom. I've had students who have worn glasses and who you know, may be sensitive to light, and we make accommodations for that. But I don't know a lot about, you know, working with children directly who have significant visual impairments. So this is going to be a very interesting show today uh, for me, and I'm sure all the listeners out there, and you, Terry, as well, mm-hmm. um, to know more about it. We have uh, guest Carol Castellano on our show today, and she is going to talk about ways that teachers and parents can support students who are either blind or have visual impairments. And Carol has a wealth of experience. Her background uh, includes, um, well, currently right now she is the Director of Programs for the National Organization of Parents of Blind Children and President and Co-Founder of Parents of Blind Children in New Jersey. In addition to that, she's authored four books and makes presentations for parents and teachers across the country as well as writes frequently on education and development of blind and visually impaired children and programs. So good morning, Carol. It's a pleasure to have you with all of your experience and knowledge, and we're looking forward to having you share with us today. How are you? Good morning. I'm just fine, and I'm another English major. Are you? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. I'm sure with your work, though, with your presentations and uh, working for the organizations that you do, you do get around to doing some writing, I yes, imagine. That's right. I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the few, along with Terry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's great to have you here today. And uh, I'm looking forward to, as I said, getting to know more about, um, you know, how to work with kids. Now, can you... First of all, start by letting us know how you got started working in this field of educating blind children and children with visual impairments. Well, I, it sounds as if I got started the way you two did. Um, my own daughter was born extremely premature. She was mm-hmm. uh, four months early, and due to the prematurity, she became blind. And mm-hmm. when she was really young, she had uh, multiple disabilities and was extremely delayed. And, for example, you know, she couldn't sit up at age one. Uh, mm-hmm. She still was uh, walking at age two. She wasn't talking until she was five. <laughs> right. So um, we had a lot of experience with, um, uh, you know, pretty challenging child. And right. uh, at the time... Uh, there wasn't much information around. And then later I found out that blindness in children is the the lowest incidence disability. Okay. So it's not very common then. Mm-hmm. Is, it something that, is it something that is more common in teens or adults or 
Uh, much more common in adults, uh, especially in elderly adults who become blind, and then there are uh, teens and people in their 20s who become blind from certain genetic conditions. But in children, right. it's the rarest. Hmm. And that's what, that's been my personal observation over the years of you know 15 plus years of being in the classroom. As I mentioned earlier, I haven't had a student with um, who has been legally blind or you know blind where you know it's in not possible to see what they're doing so this is really like you said not a very common thing not one that we're used to working with a lot so what do you or what's your philosophy that guides your thinking then about blind children and how you work with children who are blind well my the the tenet the basic tenet of how i think about blind kids is that the most important thing for them is to have high expectations for them. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who's dealing with any special needs child, I think, would agree that that's one of the most important things. Yeah. Um, the problem with blindness is that there are so few blind people in most people's experience that usually mm-hmm. when the blind children enters the system, there is, has not, not been another blind child in anyone's memory mm-hmm. unless you live in a big city. Um, right. So... People don't know what to do, and I think sometimes they imagine themselves with their eyes closed, saying, oh, my goodness, I wouldn't be able to cross the street or use the escalator. Mm -hmm. And so people are very worried, and they haven't ever done it. So I think the most important thing is that that the teachers and parents need to become aware that blind Mm -hmm. people can grow up and lead normal lives, Mm -hmm. and that in turn will raise the expectations and then the rest is just learning how to do it, and that's the easy part. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Overcoming the attitude and the outlook is often the hardest, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah. And and I also too think that, as, and I've heard this many times uh, in the special needs community, that assuming or presuming that the person is confident before assuming that they're not is the key. You know, mm-hmm. if you can look at that person and think of what they can do instead of what they can't do. And that way those expectations are, have risen and have increased, and that's really key to working with kids who have special needs, especially kids who are blind. And I think also, too, I mean, for myself, I mean, personally, I just want to jump in and help, and that's not always the answer either, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Wanna, that's of the the real dangers, in fact, and um, to to encourage the child to be independent is a is a thought that people can get, wrap their heads around, but almost almost no one knows how to do that. So for teachers, it's uh, I think sometimes uncomfortable to be in the position of, gee, I've never done this before. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. So it it, it adds a, a a layer of challenge. And I would now, guess what? that there's usually a paraprofessional involved who yep. may or may not understand that their role is not to do everything for the child. That's <laughs> right. And so that's often a very different role from the, the, the typical para role, yeah. uh, which mm-hmm. is to assist. So um, I would say yeah. the you know the role of the para in the case of a blind student is to facilitate independence. Mm-hmm. So now when but a that's, child... When a child enters the school system who is blind or has significant impairment with their vision, what what starts to happen at that point? 
obviously the parents are meeting with the school and IEP is drafted up. What level of activity and participation can you expect in the classroom uh, with a child who? That's a great question. Um, I would say the 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 simple answer is the child should participate in every single classroom activity. And there are, I think, three parts to making that happen. One mm -hmm. is materials need to be available and ready in accessible form. So mm -hmm. sometimes that will mean tactile or it might mean large print or something. Mm -hmm. And two, the teacher needs to have some training in how to include a blind student in all activities, and that usually mm -hmm. training is usually given by um, the teacher of the blind. And three, the child needs to learn the skills, right. needs to be taught mm -hmm. the skills. So if those things are in place, and uh, obviously those would be ongoing with each uh, mm -hmm. accomplishment the child makes <laughs> and each grade, mm -hmm. And then uh, that really can make the make the education work and have the child included all day. And what ty types of uh, sort of instruments or what types of materials do teachers use in the classroom then to accommodate? Oh, well, I'll give you blind the child. Of, a, of a totally or almost totally blind child, say who is a braille reader. Um, so the school books would all be transcribed into Braille, usually the season before school, so that they're ready. And Braille books are keyed to the print book. So the teacher could say, you know, let's open our math books to page 30. And so that the page 30 in the print book will be page 30 in the Braille book. Okay. So the student can um, just follow along. Maybe it's a map. Maybe it's social studies, and they're going to be looking at maps. So mm -hmm. for the student, someone in advance would either have had to order the map from a, a Braille map-making uh, uh, organization or perhaps create a map if there isn't something already done in some sort of tactile form. Uh, if it's math and the children are doing math uh, by color-coded uh, manipulatives, mm -hmm. the blind student you know, you could add texture, self-stick texture to the cubes or something so that the child can code them by feel instead of by color and can um, totally participate in the lesson. So those are some right. examples. Right. You know, mm -hmm. listening to, to talking about this, it seems like the challenge for inclusion for blind kids would be more of a mechanical challenge and less of an attitudinal challenge than for, say, a child with intellectual disabilities. What sort of pushback do you get in terms of, of putting a blind student in a regular classroom? I'm guessing that maybe with the, the, the rarity of it and with the perception that people have about you know, intellectual abilities and disabilities, that it might be more of a, cool, we have a blind kid in our class and we're going to help them and we're going to do everything we can do to get this, you know, and less of a perception of, well, that person is going to drag the whole class down. Um, you know, we can't let those kids of whom there are a bunch. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Is is there more acceptance? Is, okay, well, this is what I'm wondering. Cause from, for me, <laughs> coming from those, those being one of those kids, um, you know, it seems like, oh, well, everybody would want to have the blind kid in their class. So, Wade, do you, do you have, do people still resist uh, inclusion for kids with visual impairments? 
Um, yes, in a word. Okay. Uh, my own daughter was rejected from special ed preschool. I oh, mean, oh. You can imagine yeah. that. Yeah. And the yeah. one teacher said something like, well, she needs to go to where the blind uh, go. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> where the people go. I think that uh, sighted people in general I, I truly imagine that they, if they lost their vision, they would be helpless. Mm-hmm. And so they view yeah. this person helpless and from helpless they also would say well how could you possibly as much as a sighted person how could you do as much as a sighted person you couldn't so they're coming at it from an an uneducated point of view but i Mm -hmm. unfortunately that's the the main view out there maybe it's natural so we just try hard to raise awareness of um Uh the way normal blind people live their lives and and you know of course a blind person could also have intellectual disabilities, but right. either way, right. uh, in my view, when you're looking at a student and you're planning academics for that student, you just forget about blindness and just say, what yes. What would you expect from that student? What would you plan for that student with that mm-hmm. intellectual picture? And then you add in the uh, adaptations for blindness, like the yeah. Braille or the large print. That's, I would guess that there are, as with every other inclusion story, some teachers who are really into doing this and some teachers who aren't. That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, you would hope that the school would assign your student to the one who wants it, and yet that right. oftentimes you, does not happen. And sometimes that really works, and, you know, when the yeah. student is on board, and that's that's the best-case scenario. My yeah. daughter's algebra teacher um, was very excited to have her in class, looked at it as a new challenge to her own right. career, and decided uh-huh. to learn how to do math and Braille. The, the teacher uh-huh. did that just yes. for her own interest. You know? So mm-hmm. needless <laughs> to say, my daughter had a very successful high school math career. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's also the the equivalent of the t- – I have a friend whose daughter has a hearing impairment and is supposed to have a mic. Uh, the teacher's supposed to have a mic, but she had a teacher who just it bothered her, so she just turned it off. Oh no! Um, So those would not be the teachers to whom you would want to. That's right. Child with a disability, and yet that oftentimes is how it goes. It's interesting though. My my children both go to uh, a community college, and I go there and hang out with them all day. And I see quite a lot of uh, of blind students Mm -hmm. going around with their Mm -hmm. cane, tapping around, and and seeming to have no problem and adjusting. Mm -hmm. And people uh, don't even look at them twice. So, uh, you know, I guess we are getting when, to a better When blind place. kids get a good education, that's the way it should go. Then they, they've yeah. got their skills they need mm-hmm. uh, and the training. They've had the training so they can um, be independently mobile and uh, right. follow along in a class and et cetera, and that's how it should go. And once a blind kid gets that far, they do quite well in college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting there, that's a little trickier, but... <laughs> well, yes. That that is the case. I'm I'm noticing that about college that it seems to be much more of a melting pot for disabilities than than oh, yeah. we had before this, and it's extremely gratifying. <laughs> it's like yes. we finally got here. What do you know? <laughs> um, can we My start a little just earlier, please? We did graduate school, in fact. Um, Great, and we'll, that's uh, fantastic. We'll participate in graduation on uh, May 18th. <laughs> We're very thrilled. Oh. 
great. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And you sound like a parent that would be very involved, too, and I think that's key for people to know is that it's also uh, a responsibility on the family's part, too, to be able to provide some direction and some resources for a teacher that may not have ever had this experience before. Right. That's right. That's, that's mm-hmm. what makes the child make the most progress when there's a real partnership with the school, the teacher of the blind, and the regular classroom teacher, and the home. I completely mm-hmm. agree with that. Yeah. Right. And you know, we talked a little bit about paraprofessionals, but is there any training for them on how to work with a kid? Uh, a lot of the time my experience with paraprofessionals was they just assumed they could, because they had raised children they knew how to be a para for a kid with <laughs> yeah. a disability. And that would be especially harmful, I think, in this situation, you know. Um, That's right. Because sometimes so, um, you get people who real, uh, uh, want the job out of the goodness of their heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Help. yes people, and Mm -hmm. uh, you almost want the opposite kind of person, (laughs) someone who understands how to empower and how to facilitate independence. Um, I can tell you a million times when uh, my daughter was, uh, it was just assumed that she couldn't do something, and the para would just do it, and if I hadn't visited the school a lot and really put a stop to it, that's how she would have grown up. She would have internalized that passivity which mm-hmm. would have yeah. completely derailed her life. Um, and it was really out of the goodness of their hearts. They were not bad people. Yes. <laughs> but that's, that's like the other no... side of the coin. You have the people who are not helpful because they don't believe the child belongs there, and then you have the people who are, who are too helpful out of the goodness of their hearts, and mm-hmm. right. neither and one is helpful. Children can really learn how to be dependent, and I'm sure yeah. you've seen yeah. that in your, in your experience as well. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, is, well, is there are there training programs, or what would you recommend um, for parents who are, you know, starting this path with a uh, child with a visual impairment? Are there resources well, to give to a paraprofessional or classes uh, that they can there, go to? There are no formal training programs across the board for parents. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. really varies from school district to school district, so yeah. you'll find great unevenness. Um, but in, in the book that I wrote, Making It Work, that's the one that's really about getting the education program going. And I have mm-hmm. quite an extensive section on um, paraprofessionals in that book because it is so important. Almost every blind yeah. child has one in the classroom. Mm-hmm. The teacher can become dependent on it. The school yeah. can become, uh, the student can become dependent. And the parapro can become the, pivot, the pivotal person. And it really shouldn't right. be that way. It, no. it mm-hmm. needs the the person needs to learn how to step back, and the school administration has to be okay with a, a person sitting and you know supposedly doing nothing <laughs> in order to yeah. empower that student. I have a quick question: What can a teacher do in the classroom, or in the physical sense? What can a teacher do to the classroom to make life a little easier for a child who's blind? Because I, I'm starting from scratch here. I don't know. Uh, anything at all really about what a person who is blind needs. So what would you suggest well, or recommend is, if we have teachers listening? That's a wonderful question. Okay, so I I have a mantra that instead of making accommodations for blind students, we should teach the blind students skills. Right, mm-hmm. okay, so that makes sense. Instead of, um, you know, 
moving the furniture so that there's a clear pathway and mm-hmm. setting the student's desk at the first desk by the door, it would mm-hmm. be more useful for the student for the student's whole life to teach the student how to maneuver properly oh. in a yeah. classroom in, or in any room so that they're not held back by, uh-oh, this room has an obstacle, I can't go in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Give them the skill. So I look at everything that way for blind kids. <laughs> okay. So I'm kind of anti-accommodations, you could say. <laughs> but in that, in a sense, so too is is a way of it's a that's a strategy that one uses to teach children, and that mm-hmm. this is the world, and this is how you maneuver, and this is how you work around it. So that's, that's great right. to know. I mean, I, that wouldn't be my natural instinct. So That's right. And and <laughs> it's, it's a very different way of thinking because the the laws have to do with accommodations. They don't have mm-hmm. to do with skills. <laughs> so it's, right. But it's really important for the independence, the future independence of a blind student. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, there's all sorts of ways to do accommodations. Mm-hmm. I, I would guess, guess that maybe... Uh, do, do you, did your daughter take adaptive gym, or what do you do, like, in the gym class? Um, well, um, gym class, I think, well, I suppose it's like other classes as well, but it really depends on the teacher. If mm-hmm. if the teacher knows how to include students of various physical uh, abilities, and some do yeah. and some don't, again, you know, mm-hmm. then the student will do fine in the regular class. If mm-hmm. the teacher really can't do it, or if the class is gigantic, or, you know, I guess be, or maybe it's a mixed-level class in terms of grades, yeah. you know. So yeah. I think it has to be looked at each case. But it really, I think, bottom line is it depends on the teacher. Right. Yeah. You just don't want the kid to be off to, uh, sitting with the para on the bleachers while everybody else Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I right. would guess that happens rather a lot. It does, um, and and sometimes uh, they put them in the weight room, you know, and they lift weights. Yes. But it, it's every... Oh, okay. Uh, another mantra I have is that the blind student needs to know and learn everything that a sighted yes. learns. So maybe right. you're never going to play basketball on a team, but you might really enjoy the game, or your mm-hmm. your brother or sister might play, or yeah. uh, you know, you just the student. We we should expect to to we should want to teach the student the blind student everything, mm-hmm. and yeah. that will include. Yeah. The, the skills uh, that are learned in gym class. Yeah. Well, there's definitely ways to do it. And uh, for a school that's fortunate enough to have, like, an adaptive gym instructor, I imagine they would have ways to do that. But not all of them are. Do you have some suggestions in your book for that as well, or yep. do you know of any there's resources? A, there's a subject-by-subject subject guide in the that's book. That's awesome. With, um, Great. Uh, and yeah. there are also, um, I guess, sort of testimonials from teachers who really – had blind kids in class and who had no previous experience <laughs> with blind. Mm-hmm. So it's it's their stories of how how they made the adjustment and what happened in their class, which I think people will find interesting and I think teachers would find helpful uh, yeah. to kind of inspire them and and make them right. feel comfortable. It's it's, yeah. it's going to be okay. Yeah. You can do this. Yeah. yeah, you always want to show them what other teachers are doing rather than what you mm-hmm. think would be good to do. Um, are there some other resources that you would recommend uh, parents or teachers checking out? Well, I would uh, suggest that new parents join the Parents of Blind Children organization. Mm-hmm. We are um, very active. We have programs all over the country and activities uh, nationally 
for uh, children, youth, and families. For example, we have early Braille literacy and early cane travel uh, programs that parents can join and you know, be a part of through mail, email, internet, website, et cetera. And they're wonderful programs because, again, blindness in children is rare. Most of the time, you're the only family in the town. <laughs> so this yeah. is a way to connect with other people, uh, uh, raise your expectations, learn how to do it. And we are connected with uh, blind adults, so we can provide mentors mm-hmm. for people, which yeah, is really right. That's a great activity or program to have mentorship. So that kids can see what is possible. Yeah, that's. Uh, I we have our national convention coming up in Orlando this year from July first to uh, to July sixth. So if anyone is in, uh, listening who has a blind, we would certainly oh, welcome got... your participation. Oh, Great, thank you. Great. We're uh, at the end of our time today. Unfortunately, this has been a really interesting subject and one I hope we can talk about again sometime. Uh, Thank you for being our guest today, and I would like to thank our listeners for tuning to our program this morning. Please join us for next week's show and listen to Linda Silbert to talk about ways to keep your kid learning over the summer. That's right, Mom. There is no break for you. You have to keep (laughs) your child learning all year round. No video games, no TV. Learning, learning. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. And finally, you can download our past podcasts for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.